Ryan Mobley is going to be sharing the word with us today. As we prepare to hear the word, will you stand together with me and grab your Bible or open your app, however you look at the word of God, and let's open up to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, thank you, Ellie. We have a lot to cover. Let's jump in. It's going to be fun. We're, we're doing this little mini-series starting today over the next uh, couple weeks called Easter Postscript. Uh, we're looking at uh, three different encounters uh, that Jesus had after his resurrection um, with various people, um, disciples, and seeing really uh, what that means um, and, and how that applies to us today. So in our passage today... Um, this road to Emmaus, it's a very famous, beautiful passage. Um, let me give you a little bit of context uh, so we know what we're dealing with here. So the situation that's happening is this is happening on Resurrection Day. Jesus uh, rose from the tomb uh, early that morning. The women had already gone to the tomb, uh, which we heard in the passage. They came back uh, and told some of the disciples uh, Simon Peter and John had already run to the tomb, and they saw that the tomb was empty. Okay, so those things had already happened, and uh, this is probably sometime happening maybe later morning, afternoon, um, on that resurrection day. 
uh, the people involved in this passage um, are, are a couple of folks that we really don't know a whole lot about. This is the first time uh, they're mentioned in the gospel accounts. Uh, we know the name of one. His name is Cleopas. And um, there's a couple speculations on who Cleopas is. Again, these are just speculations. Uh, at Jesus' crucifixion, there was a woman there who was called Mary, the wife of Clopas. So, so they might think that Cleopas and Clopas, they might be variant spellings of, of each other. They're not too sure about that one. Other traditions say that Cleopas is actually um, Jesus' uncle. Um, the, the brother of his earthly father, Joseph. So um, regardless, we don't really know for sure, but what we do know is that Cleopas and this disciple were followers of Christ uh, for some amount of time. As the story got unfolded for us, we heard, he, he referred to the women coming back and telling our company, you know, this group of people that, that, that we are with. So uh, they talked about their hope in Jesus of being, um, you know, the redeemer of Israel. So we know for sure that Cleopas and this other companion were disciples of Christ. Probably came in Jerusalem as part of the Passover celebration, okay, and now more than likely, they are just returning home to the village of Emmaus where they live. So that's who they are, and that's the situation we're in. But really, the heart of this is what they're going through, is what they're experiencing. We see in uh, verse 13, they are walking to Emmaus. And like I mentioned, they're going home. And we heard later in the passage about how they had had their hope set that Jesus would be the redeemer of Israel. And so we can derive from these things that they're probably experiencing some level of just concession of, well, we thought it was going to be this, and now I guess it's not. So I guess it's over. So let's just go home. What else are we going to do? Um, maybe you've felt that way in some things, where you, you had an expectation of something that didn't materialize. You're like, well, n now what? I guess, I guess I'll just go on to doing what I know to do. We know for sure that, because of verse 17, that they were sad. They were walking to Emmaus, and Jesus came down and began talking with them, and it says that they stood still looking sad as they began to unpack the story of what had happened over the last few days. And then in verse 22, we, we find out that they're confused. Uh, your Bibles may say amazed, some may say astounded, but it's really this idea of they're just, they don't know what's going on. There's confusion. If we back up to verse 11 in chapter 24, when the women came back and gave report of the empty tomb, it said the disciples dismissed it as an idle tale and they didn't believe them. So I think we can safely say that these disciples are feeling this concession, this giving up. They're feeling sad, and they're feeling confused. Overall, they're feeling this profound disappointment because what should have been a day of hope revealed for them was a day of hope extinguished. And maybe that's something that you all feel as well. Maybe some of you are feeling that way today. Maybe some of you have felt that this way this past week. 
Um, praise the Lord that, you know, those hope cards that Pastor Paul was talking about, we're, we're hearing God answer some of those, but we see there was, a, you saw the stack of those. These are things that we're all feeling and we all experience. I was thinking about a time, you know, where I've been disappointed, um, when my expectations have let down, and I find it very interesting um, that um, the Sunday after Easter, like today is, uh, seven years ago, was the last sermon I preached at the church that I planted. Um, I planted a church um, here in Springfield. And uh, tell you what, um, pastoring is hard. Um, church planting is really hard. And uh, there was a, there was a, you know, and there was a season where, uh, you know, I needed to kind of take a, take a step back and really address my relationship with the Lord and my, the health of my family and, you know, just really work through some things. And so, um, you know, I, I preached that last Sunday and I, and I took, uh, I took uh, kind of a little leave of absence for a while to just really address some of these things. And when I began to kind of come back in, to the ministry, some things just weren't clicking right. And instead of there being this restoration of sorts, there was a resignation that I offered. Um, I ended up resigning. And so being in that position, you know, I had this, I had this hope, I had this expectation of, man, this is what I'm going to do. You know, and I'll tell you what, as guys, we find a lot of our identity in the work that we do, don't we, men? You know, and so when that's gone... We're like, well, <laughs> who, who am I? What, what's going on? All this kind of thing. And so, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was really challenging. I was just really figuring out, God, who, who are you, what are you doing and what are you making me to be? And, you know, and God in his grace and mercy has been very good. Um, over the last seven years. And so hope is alive. And, but really where it comes from is what we're going to be unpacking today. So whatever you're feeling whatever you've experienced, I pray that this morning is going to be a transformational time for you. You see, these disciples were suffering from misplaced hope. And this misplaced hope led to their disappointment. I mean, they had hopes of Jesus being this political savior, the one to redeem Israel and get them out of the oppression of the Romans. You know, they knew, they recognized that he was a prophet, a great teacher, right? We read that in verse 19. But they didn't get that he was actually the Messiah bringing in spiritual renewal, spiritual restoration. They didn't understand that he was the very Son of God. And this is what Jesus unpacks for them in verses 25 through 27. Here's what this means for us. Oftentimes with us, we have a wrong understanding of what Scripture says and means. And because we have a wrong understanding of Scripture, or what it says and what it means, this leads us to have the wrong expectations of ourselves, of other people, of situations, of life overall. You know, these guys, Cleopas and this other disciple, they didn't really know what this word said which got them to this place of this despondency. And Jesus had to correct that. You see, much of our heartache and disappointment comes from misplaced hope. Now, 
There are some tragic things that happen to us that are beyond our control, things that people do to us, circumstances or situations that we find ourselves in. So I'm not diminishing those, but what I do know is that we oftentimes place our hope in things that will fail us. We put our hope for happiness, our hope for fulfillment in people, in position, in possessions. But all these things will ultimately fail us because they are not perfect. People will always let us down. Position can go away like that. Company downsizes or whatever. Possessions, they break, right? They get stolen. They're imperfect. So how do we have the right expectations? How do we have properly placed hope? How do we guard our hearts? As Proverbs chapter 4 says, above all else, guard your heart. How do we guard it from the things that aren't meant to save us so we actually place the hope of our hearts on the one that will? Here's how. We have to have the right understanding of God's word so we know where to set our hope. We need to put ourselves under the authority of Scripture and who this Bible says Jesus is. That's what we're really going to talk about today. So let's talk about what this book is really about. Most people approach the Bible one of two ways. Most people think the Bible is either about us. It's about how we should act, how we should think, how we should live to please God, to go to heaven, okay? Or the Bible is about God. It's us or God, who he is, what he has done, how he interacts with us and provides the way to heaven and a full life. Let's unpack these ideas just a little bit further. If the Bible is about us, we will see the Bible as a list of rules which crush us under the weight of trying to live a perfect life. If the Bible is about us, we can easily reject the Bible because we just see it as outdated. It's archaic. And therefore, it's ineffective in our advanced modern lives and world. If the Bible is about us, we can tend to live self-righteous lives, constantly comparing us to others and looking for those that we are better than so we can feel good about ourselves. If the Bible is about us, it's easy for us to see ourselves as the hero of every story, which leads us to either pride because we just think we're that awesome, or to pity because we just never measure, measure up. But if the Bible is about God, the Bible is about Jesus, we see a plan and a blueprint for our lives as we respond to a loving and gracious God. If the Bible is about Jesus, we receive its instruction and guidance with joy, and we know that it has transcultural truth that spans the ages. For example, you know what the power of loving your neighbor 5,000 years ago has the same power as loving your neighbor today. If the Bible is about Jesus, we are able to live humble lives, 
and give grace and mercy to others as we have received grace and mercy. If the Bible is about Jesus, then we see Jesus as the hero of every story who intercedes for, acts for our behalf, and substitutes himself for us. If we believe the Bible is about you and me, we will always misplace our hope. And we will mainly put our hope on our own selves or other people. And we'll walk around with this internal expectation on what we think we should be doing and what other people should be doing for us. And if we live that way, you know what we always walk around with on the inside? Disappointment. Frustration. Judgment and a critical spirit. If you battle some of those things today, I'm going to tell you, you're not reading your Bible right. You have a misunderstanding of the Word of God. But if we believe the Bible is about Jesus Christ, then our hope is set on a solid rock that doesn't move. And we can have space and grace in our lives for both ourselves and other people. Let's keep going with God's word. Let's keep talking about the power of God's word, the purpose for God's word. You see, God's word does indeed have power. It does indeed have purpose to make you grow and to flourish. And I'll tell you this, you cannot thwart the word of God. I want me to read to you one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's in Isaiah 55. And it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, God says. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish all that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Amen? God's word will always prove true. God's word will never let you down because God said my word will endure and what I purpose it for will come to pass. You see, Jesus saw these disciples walking on this road to Emmaus all caught up in their emotion, all full of disappointment, all full of confusion, all full of sadness, and he comes personally to walk with them, to be with them, and he explains to the disciples that all of Scripture is about him and that a right reading and understanding of scripture will transform them from concession to passion will transform them from sadness to joy and will transform them from confusion to confidence that is the power of god's word when you read it through the lens of the gospel when you read it with jesus at the center and the hero of every story Remember, here's the thing too, let me, let me push on this. Listen, the only scripture that they had at this time was this part. They didn't have this part over here. All they had was what we call the Old Testament. This tells us a couple things. This tells us in this day and age you know what? We need to see Jesus through all of Scripture. We, we, we cannot read the Bible selectively. It's either all God's Word or none of God's Word. But this is all of God's Word. 
as Jesus proves here, it's easy for us to dismiss the Old Testament, you know, except for the, maybe the parts and the stories that we like. But it's easy for us to dismiss the Old Testament as irrelevant because it's the law and we're now under grace, so the game's changed, right? But what we miss is that all, everybody say all, all of the Old Testament is pointing toward and is about the hope of the Messiah, of Jesus. It's the unfolding of God's redemptive plan for the world. Jesus says in verse 27, he showed them all of Moses and the prophets, how it's about him. When you jump forward to verse 44 and 45, Jesus again with the disciples, and he says he, he unpacked Moses and the prophets and the Psalms about how they're all about him. What did Jesus do when he did that? What was he talking about? Was he just talking about the prophecies? Was he just talking about Genesis chapter 3 where it says you're going to crush the head of the serpent? Was it talking about just Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant on the cross? Is that all he was talking about? No, because he says all of Moses, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms are about him. I believe this is what Jesus helped them to see. Let me read you this. Let's go on a journey through the Old Testament together. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and, his, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice that we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one. 
who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you and me. It's about him. This is what I believe Jesus showed them. This is what he showed them. Everything points to me. I'm the fulfillment of everything. And when he opened up the scriptures to them, they received something powerful. They received this personal revelation. You know, when he... He sat and talked and walked and, and got to that place, got to the home, and they broke bread together and their eyes were opened. And they saw the truth of who he was and they connected it with the truth that he was teaching. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We need our hearts burning within us. When our hearts burn within us with the truth of who Jesus is, with the truth of what his word says, our whole lives are on fire, and our whole lives change. And it is all based on the right understanding of this book. Because this is God's revealed word to us. His special revelation that gives us personal revelation. You see, This personal revelation is when a scripture, a passage, a theme of the Bible just shines light in your life from the inside out. It's seeing Jesus clearly and how his truth intersects with your life. That's personal revelation. You hear something that goes deep into your heart, and maybe you've heard it hundreds of times before. It might be one of the most familiar passages in the whole Bible. But this time that you hear it, At this moment, suddenly, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit says to you, this is for you. This is for your encouragement. This is for your strength. This is for your healing. This is for your direction in life. This is how I will be glorified in you through this, now and forever. That is what personal revelation is about. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. Okay? Um, I was sitting in a large church auditorium, much like this, sitting somewhere in the section over there where the Kucher family is sitting. And um, I was listening to one of my pastors. One of my pastors, um, it was a Wednesday night service, was Lee Strobel. Um, If you're familiar with the Case for Christ movie and the book, um, he was a pastor at my church. And he was preaching that night. I have no idea what the guy was preaching on, okay? Um, Doesn't matter. I was sitting right over there. I remember looking at him. He was at a podium like this, and he was talking like this. And he read, he spoke Romans 8.31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? And I don't know what happened. I just know at that moment, sitting in a seat right over in that section, that auditorium, that scripture which I had heard and read who knows how many times before, pierced into my heart and became a part of me. And I believe, looking back on that now, having that type of confidence, that kind of truth, that, man, if God is for me, no one can stand against me. That just ensured and just solidified calling in my life, purpose in my life, vision in my life, passion in my life. There might be someone sitting in here this morning that needs to hear that verse, so I'm going to say it again. Romans 8.31, say it with me. If God is for us, Come on, let's repeat, Matt. Let's repeat. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. If that's for you, I pray that you run with that like I have. But this is what getting that personal revelation from the truth of God's word with Jesus the hero means. And when this happened, their emotions changed, their perspective changed, their outlook changed, their faith, their entire direction of life dramatically changed. Internally, they did a 180. They went from concession to passion. They went from sadness, and they went to joy. They went from confusion to confidence. This all happened internally, and when that internal change happened, it showed externally to them. Listen, they were walking a road to Emmaus, seven miles this way, full of concession, sadness, and disappointment, and they got there and stopped, and this happened, and they did, as they did an internal 180, they did an external 180, and that road to Emmaus now became the road to Jerusalem, the city of the king. full of hope, full of joy, full of confidence, full of passion. When you meet Jesus, the real Jesus, the hero of every story of the Bible, the true savior of your soul and the fulfillment of your life, you change. You can't help but change. You, you can't stay the same. That's what happens when you meet the real Jesus and that revelation of who he is and the truth of his word pierces your hearts. How does this happen? Romans 10, 17 says it clearly. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, you cannot hear the word without reading the word. You cannot know the word without understanding that all the word is about Jesus, his love, his grace, his salvation. How many people here want to hear the Lord speak to you and give you direction, give you hope? Okay, you know how the best way to do that? Read this book out loud. If you want to hear God, read this out loud. This is his word. It may be your voice reading it, but this is his word. This is him talking to you and me. Read it out loud. Listen to it. There's power when the word is proclaimed out loud. Jesus came to these disciples, and he told them out loud what the scriptures were concerning himself. So, how do we make all this happen? How do we 
how does our road to Emmaus become the road to Jerusalem? How, do the, how does the concession become passion? How does sadness become joy? How does confusion become confidence? Step number one is for sure read your Bible. Okay? I hope everybody in here has a Bible. If not, we'll find one here. Take the one from your neighbor. If you want a nice leather one, I'm sure there's a lost and found. You can grab one. Okay? But read a Bible. Get a Bible. As you do that, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and point you to Jesus. You need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help. Holy Spirit has a couple jobs here. The Holy Spirit's job, according to John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you and I to truth. John 16, 13. And John 16, 14 says his job is also to point you and I to Jesus. So whenever you read this word, whenever you turn it on and listen on your Bible app or read your devotional, please take a moment and pray, Holy Spirit, help lead me to truth, guide me to truth, point me to Jesus as I come under the authority of your word. And those things that are misplaced in me, reset them on the right thing, on the right Savior. The second thing you can do is be honest about your walk. Be honest about your walk. These disciples, Cleopas and his companion, they were honest. They, they, they shared freely what they were going through. So are you sad today? Are you let down? Are you confused? Are you disappointed? What's the Emmaus road that you're walking on today? Be, be honest about that. Tell someone Receive some prayer. You're going to have a chance to come down and be prayed for with our prayer teams. Talk with them as they will pray for you and they will point you to the hope of Christ. Okay, be honest about your walk. Thirdly, put Jesus and yourself in the right place as you read Scripture. He's the hero. He's the Savior. You and I are the ones that need to be saved. I always like to joke about um, the story of David and Goliath, right? We all know, are familiar with David and Goliath and the way we typically like to read that story is like, oh, well, we're going to be like David, right, and pick up our stones and slay the giant in our lives. Here's how you read that story. Jesus is the David that went and picked up the stones and slay the giant. We're the scared Israelites standing on the hillside over there just watching what's going on. That's how you read that story, and that's how you worship the Savior in it. You see what I'm talking about? But you let your mind and your thinking be transformed as you immerse yourself in the truth of Scripture because this, you have no hope of transformation in your life without the truth of God's Word filling your mind and without His Holy Spirit filling your heart. It's the only way you get transformation in your life. And lastly, so we talked about reading your Bible. We talked about having the Holy Spirit guide you, be honest with your walk, put Jesus and yourself in the right place. And lastly, now walk in the revelation that you receive that reflects the good news of Jesus Christ. God is a good father that gives good gifts to his kids, amen? And he wants to bless you. So when you come before him humbly and you're under his word and you're asking for him to speak with you and you want your life to be transformed for his glory, not yours, he will answer that prayer. And then we get to walk in that revelation that we receive that reflects the good news of Jesus Christ. We walk full of love, full of joy, full of hope, full of peace, full of confidence. And we can't keep it to ourselves. When that internal change happens, we have to let it out. 
And just like Cleopas and his companion got up from Emmaus and ran back to Jerusalem, they proclaimed, the Lord has risen indeed. Everybody say that. The Lord has risen indeed. And that becomes the cry of our hearts, the cry of our lives. And God receives much, much glory. And when we live that way, and we tell our story of who Jesus is and how he has saved us and how he has transformed us. He is honored and his kingdom grows. And he gets all the glory due his name. And we are a part of the greatest movement ever. And that makes a difference in our lives today. Amen? I'm going to invite the prayer teams to go ahead and come down. Let's stand and let's pray together. Dan is going to come out and lead us in the last chorus. And really, do not neglect this opportunity to get prayed for. Don't miss this chance to share your walk and to be pointed towards the truth of Jesus Christ. So prayer teams, please come down and let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you are the hero of the whole story. Thank you that your word is living and active. And it changes us today, Lord, no matter where we're at. If we find ourselves in points of struggle and confusion and hopelessness and sadness, Lord, you change that through your word and through Christ. So, Lord, move us from a road to Emmaus and put us on a road to Jerusalem based on the truth of Christ and his word. In your name, amen.